Spirit into this place. And as we were singing, I was, I was overcome by just the reality that the God of grace chooses, for whatever reason, to come and commune with and fellowship with broken, rotten, nasty sinners. And I look back through the Gospels and... I see Jesus and his, his choices of, of friends, his choices of, of who he spent his time with, and I'm reminded constantly that Christ did not choose to hang out with the elite, he did not choose to hang out with the, the religious leaders, in fact, anytime he came in contact with the religious leaders, uh, it did not end well, uh, it was Jesus' choice to hang out with and fellowship with and sit down and share a meal with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunks, the downcast, the outcast, the forgotten of society. And it is such an encouragement because if I look deep inside my heart and I don't have to look that deep, uh, I understand that I am that liar, that thief, that adulterer, and that God by His grace desires to have fellowship with me so overwhelmed well i pray this morning that as we leave this place uh, that you will know that you're a child of god one of my favorite movies of all time uh is tombstone uh when, when uh, I know I said it was Shawshank, and that, that is my favorite movie of all time, but one of my favorite movies is Tombstone. Uh, when you have uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and the, uh, the, the showdown of uh, the battle at OK Corral, behind the OK Corral, and, and one, one of my favorite lines at, at the very end of the movie, when Doc Holliday has just, uh, just shot Johnny Ringo, and uh, he's laying over him, and Wyatt Earp shows up, and, and he takes off his badge, and he throws it down, and he says, my hypocrisy goes only so far. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, because, because in reality, we are all hypocrites. If you're a hypocrite this morning, raise your hand. If your hand's not raising, then you're a liar, so, so that now makes you a hypocrite. We are all hypocrites. Did you know that the, the Latin word for actor is hypocrite, is hypocrite? That, that, is, that is pretending to be somebody that you're not. And, and every morning, every Sunday morning at least, I know we, we, we come to church, we, we put on a dress, we, we carry a big black Bible, uh, we show up, we say, hey, how are you doing? And everybody says, fine, fine, we're doing fine. When reality knows is that, uh, you know, you've just, had a, uh, you've just had a lesson on the way to church this morning of God's wrath as you have threatened your children within an inch of your life. If you don't shut your mouth, I will beat you within an inch of your life before we even get to church. I will pull this car over and we will, and, and we've all had these moments on our way to church. And many of us have had these moments in the parking lot at church. Many of us have had these moments 
during church, whenever you look over your children and you say, if you don't close your mouth, I'm going to drag you out of here. There have been times whenever I've looked at my, my children and my wife is making these, these, these uh, she makes eyes at me and, and I get down uh, after church and she says, uh, yeah, your son is waiting for you in your office so that you can discipline him. And so, so we, we come to church, we, we put on these airs, we, we, we build this image and we're all hypocrites. We're all liars. Because we're all broken sinners. We are, we're damaged goods. Whether it, whether it is because of, of the, the events and the environment that we were raised in. Whether it was uh, because of traumatic experiences in our lives. Or whether it's just because you know, we are by nature sinners. But we are all broken. We are all damaged. But I want to pray this morning that as you leave this place this morning, that you will know, not because of anything that you have done, not because of anything that you will do, but because of what Jesus has done, that you will know that you are a child of God. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Matthew chapter 7. We're almost done with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, we'll read verses 15 through 23 this morning. Beware of the false prophet who comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning that we realize that while we ourselves are practice, practicers of lawlessness, that we are transgressors, we are sinners, or that we may know that we're a child of God because of what Jesus has done. Lord, this morning, may you speak to our hearts. May you give us discerning spirits. And may your Holy Spirit move as your word is proclaimed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Christians, believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, are not exempt to bad choices. Amen? If we are honest with ourselves, becoming a Christian doesn't exempt us from bad mistakes. It simply highlights our bad choices. Paul said, I had not known sin but by the law. And so after we become a follower of Jesus, after we give our life to Christ, and after we have, have committed to follow the words and the teachings of Jesus, it is only then that our choices and that our decisions are highlighted. 
It is only then that we see through the lens of spiritual enlightenment that, you know what, when I speak to my children that way or when I, or when I, when I gossip or when I, when I act in such a way or when I do this or when I do that, then all of a sudden the, the light of Christ and the light of His righteousness shines brightly and I'm able to see that my decisions and my choices are that much more repulsive to the God whom I'm trying to serve and whom I'm trying to please. And so, so we looked last week that, that Jesus made the statement that broad is the way that leads to destruction and few there are that, or many there are that find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life and few there are that find it. And that distinction and that, that admonition was given to whom? To the disciples. Not to the multitude who had not begun following Christ, but to the, to the disciples who had already begun following Christ. And so that as Christians, that there is a propensity, there is a desire, that there is a very real realization that even as Christians, we will make bad choices and at times we will follow this broad way that leads to destruction. Well, as Christians, it is important that we know that on this broad way that leads to destruction that there are those who are false prophets, false teachers, people who will lead us astray. You know, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, and I'm convinced the more that, that I study Paul and his writings, that Paul was a recovering addict of some sort. I don't know what his addiction was. I don't know what he struggled with, but listen to this and tell me if this doesn't sound like an addict. Someone who was a believer and struggles with sin, struggles with, with bondage, struggles with addiction. Listen to what he says in Romans seven eighteen through 20. Now this is Paul as a believer. Listen to what he says. He says, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish to do. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells within me. That sounds like addictive behavior. I'm doing the very things I don't want to do, and the very things that I want to do, I don't do. And, and I know that what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't stop doing it because I have sinful flesh that lives inside of me. And so Paul understood that as a believer, we still struggle with sin. Whenever we become a Christian, our struggle with sin doesn't vanish. It doesn't go away. It's not like, okay, you got saved, you got baptized, you're now joined the church. All of a sudden, you're good. No longer have to struggle with sin. You don't, you don't have to worry about lying anymore. It's taken care of. Jesus did it. Now, Jesus absolutely removed from us the penalty of sin, and he removed from us the power of sin, but we still live in the flesh. We still dwell in the flesh, and the, the enemy is a roaring lion roaming around seeking those whom he'll devour. And, and there is, James says that, that let not him who think, uh, when, when he talks about temptation, he says, let not him who is tempted think in any way that he's tempted by God, for God cannot tempt anyone from evil, but we are drawn away and we are enticed whenever we are drawn away by our own evil desires in James chapter 1. So we understand that Christians are not exempt from making poor decisions. They're not exempt from this broad way. But let us look, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, beware on this broad, on this broad road that leads to destruction. Beware of the false prophet. We will find false teachers. But I want us to notice and I want us to understand how we will find false prophets. Notice, beware of the false prophets, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous 
wolves. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Not all false teachers will teach in direct contrast with God's word. Remember whenever Satan showed up in the Garden of Eden? He didn't show up and he said, there's no such thing as God. He didn't show up and say, this whole garden is just a figment of your imagination. He didn't show up with, with outright lies and outright contradictions. But what he did was he subtly twisted and subtly perverted the word of God. He told, he told Eve, he said, he said, Eve, God said don't eat from this tree because the moment you eat from this tree, you'll surely die. You won't die. I mean, not really. You know, God told you that because from the moment you eat from this tree, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Was that true? It absolutely was. But the other side of that truth is that the death would be a spiritual death, a separation from God, a, a, a ramif- the ramification of the consequences of which would impact all of mankind. Not all false teachers will teach in direct contrast with God's word. Look at what 2 Corinthians says. As Paul is admonishing the church at Corinth, listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, for such men are false apostles, false teachers, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. For no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. They won't teach in direct contrast with the Bible, for the greatest falsehood is subtle deception. On my mantle right now, there's an autographed football by Billy Cannon. I was sitting in the stadium last night with Daniel, and we were sitting right next to uh, this lady who had been going to LSU football games since 1957. She said, I sat right here. And we, were, we were sitting in the north end zone, looking right down, uh, right down the sideline, and, and she said, I was sitting right here in 1959 whenever Billy Cannon ran that on Halloween night, ran that punt back 89 yards for a touchdown. She said, I was sitting right here and I watched him run down that line. Billy Cannon was a f- fantastic football player. Played both offense and defense. Won the Heisman Trophy in 1959. Led, led LSU to its first undisputed national championship in 1958. But something happened after Billy Cannon's success, after his overwhelming success, he decided that, that, that he was going to, uh, that, that all the money he earned in the NFL and all the money that he was earning as an orthodontist and dentist, that that was not enough. So he decided to print his own money. And, and this, this, this fantastic sports icon decides to counterfeit money. And counterfeiting is a huge, it's a huge deal. Uh, it, it is a huge problem for, uh, for the U.S. Treasury. And when they're training the FBI to spot counterfeit bills, they don't show them a bunch of counterfeit bills and point out all the imperfections. But what they do is they take and they study the real McCoy. They study the U.S. notes, the $20 bill, the $100 bill, they study them. They study them inside and out. They study them under magnifying glass. They study them under microscopes. They study every aspect of the real bill, of the real treasury note. 
because the counterfeits are not going to be printed on purple paper. They're not going to be printed on Xerox machines. They're going to be printed to look exactly like the real treasury note. And unless you are trained to notice the very subtle differences, then you'll be fooled. Have you ever gone to the grocery store and handed the, handed the clerk a, a 20 or or $100 bill, and she takes that, that pen and she, she, she marks it? Why? Because her untrained eye is not trained to detect the subtle differences between a counterfeit note and a genuine note. And so she uses that pen to, to, to mark to see if it is indeed a real, authentic note. The false prophet reveals themselves. They show themselves by two ways. By the clothes they wear and the fruit they bear. We're going to look very carefully this morning at the clothes that they wear. Look at chapter 7, verse 15. It says, Beware the false prophet who comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How do you know someone is a false prophet? How do you know someone is not a follower of Jesus? It's not by the way they look. It's not by the things that they say or the things that they do. It's not by their, their, their appearance it's not by their clothes. Their clothes that they wear, they look like the real thing. And it's important for us to understand that the deception most oftentimes will come from within the church. They're dressed like sheep. What does Jesus refer to the church as? The flock of God, that, that, that we are the children of God. He says that He is the good shepherd and we are His sheep. The shepherd knows His sheep. And the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus said the false prophet will disguise himself as a sheep that he will be a wolf in sheep's clothing, that the, that the deception will come from within the church, and the deception seems genuine. It seems genuine. The greatest deception that I've seen in the church over the last 15, 20 years, maybe a little bit more, is legalism. Legalism has the appearance of godliness has the appearance of holiness it has the appearance of that which is righteous that which conforms to the image of Christ but inwardly it is deadly to the church the church is not an aquarium it's not a country club the church is meant to be a hospital for sinners I'm a firm believer that if there are not cigarette butts in your parking lot, if there are not empty beer cans and backs of pickup trucks in your parking lot, then you're just keeping an aquarium and you're no longer fishing for men. I'm a firm believer that as if we as the church are not reaching out to the hurting, to the broken, to the addict, to the abused, to the single mom, to the, to the unwed mother, if we're not reaching out to those who are hurting, then we're doing nothing but keeping an aquarium. Jesus went to the prostitute. He went to Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He went to the woman caught in adultery. And it was there that he showed grace. It was there that he showed mercy. To the Pharisee, he said, Get away from me, you, you children of Satan. He called them broods of vipers. He called them liars, 
thieves, but to the adulterer, to the, to the tax collector, to, to the beggar, to the lame man. He gave grace and mercy. And whenever we as a church equate fellowship with God with right living, we miss the gospel. We miss the gospel. Don't misunderstand me. Don't get me wrong. God has indeed called the church to be holy and to be righteous and to be set apart. In, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Who is, he has called us out of darkness into light. We have been transformed and we should live differently than the world. We should be different from the world. But as the church, as the church legalism and our difference from the world is not what makes us the church. What makes us the church is the recipient of the grace of God. That is what marks us from different from the world. Not because we look like we've got it all together, but because we have been the recipient of the grace of God. That is what changes us. That is what separates us from the world. Not because we do everything right, but because we've been the recipient of grace. Legalism has been that false prophet that shows up and looks like he's your deacon, he's your preacher, he's your Sunday school teacher. They show up, they say all the right things, they do all the right things, but they're more concerned and emphasize doing right more than they do the grace of Jesus. Legalism. Secondly, I want us to notice that it's not only their clothes that distinguish them, but the fruit that they bear. Look at verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruit. Now, every year, over the last few years, we've been planting gardens. Plant gardens out here for the elementary school and and. When, when I have opportunity, I plant some at my house. And inevitably, we plant the, the squash and the bell peppers and the cucumbers and the tomatoes. And the kids are out there with us, and we have a great time. And then what do the kids want? They want to go out there the next day, and they want to pick squash. They want to pick cucumbers. They want to pick tomatoes. But we know that, that when we plant, when we, when we plant the seed and we water the seed and we, we, we cultivate the ground, that, that fruit by its very nature, takes time to mature. What do you see immediately after you plant? What, what begins popping up on those branches? You begin to see flowers and blossoms. But here's the question. Does every flower turn into a fruit? No. Fruit takes time to mature. And sometimes many of those flowers that, that, and many of those plants that look like that they're going to produce fruit like crazy, they've got flowers, they've got blossoms, they've got buds all over them, they end up producing nothing. And what do you do? You rip them out of the ground and you start over. Reminds me of a man by the name of Demas. In the book of Acts, Paul encourages the church in the book of Colossians. At the end of the book of Colossians, Paul encourages the church at Colossae. He says, send grace and mercy and help to my friend, my brother, Demas, a fellow laborer for the gospel of Christ. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of 2 Timothy. 
fruit takes time to mature. Not everything that starts off well ends well. Not everything that has the appearance of the gospel, that has the appearance of a prophet, that has the appearance of apostle, will end up enduring and producing fruit. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Paul is, let, let, let's start in verse 9. Paul says to the church, he's, this is Paul's last will and testament. Paul is about to die. He knows he's about to die. He writes to the church at, at or he writes to Timothy from prison. And he says, he says, come visit me in verse 9. He's talking about to die. Make every effort, come see me. Make every effort. Do your best to come and see me soon. Look at verse 10. For Demas. I believe that this was a source of great grief to Paul. I believe Paul probably led Demas to Christ. Paul says this. He said, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas, Paul said, a brother in Christ in the book of Colossians, he said, he said, greet Demas. He said, show fellowship, show kindness, show grace and mercy to Demas, for he's a brother in Christ. I believe that Paul had led him to Christ and then encourages the church at Colossae to reach out to Demas to show him grace and mercy, and then here at the end of his life, grieved, says Demas loved this world too much. He loved this present world, and he has deserted, and is no longer a follower of Jesus. The fruit of a believer takes time. To mature. Beware of the flash in the pan. Beware of that which, which seems like the newest, greatest movement of Christianity. Beware with the, the, the guy who comes in with all the answers to all the questions and is going to come in and he's going to, you know, will the, the, the church will grow to 10,000 people in two years. Beware of the new idea, the new movement, because they may seem great initially. But will it endure? Will it stand the test of time? What is it that stands the test of time? Faithful, obedient service to the Lord. Humble, loving dispensation of the grace of God. True fruit, true fruit imitates Jesus. Verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. True fruit imitates Jesus. The goal of the Holy Spirit within the church, within the Christian, is conformity with the life of Jesus. How do you tell if someone is a follower of Jesus? Do they look like Him and act like Him? Do they look like Jesus? Do they act like Jesus? Not in their, not in their physical characteristics. Not in their, not in their, you know, do they have long hair and, and, and do they wear sandals? No, but, but in their character, in the way that they live, do they show grace to those who are hurting? Do they speak with wisdom? Are they slow to speak and quick to listen? Are they full of humility? Or are they arrogant and proud? And I am grieved to say that in my early years of my ministry, much of my ministry was marked with arrogance and pride rather than humility. 
Much of my ministry, much of my, my life has been marked with, with, I've got this whole Christianity thing figured out. Only to be humbled by my own sin and failure. How can you tell if someone is truly a follower of Jesus? By the clothes they wear and the fruit they bear. Do they look like Jesus? Do they they emanate from themselves grace and humility? Or does judgment come? Does arrogance, does pride come? Is wisdom that they that they that they display, is it wisdom from this world or is it wisdom that is from another world? The declaration, I want us to look at the declaration of judgment here at the end of Matthew chapter 7 because I think the the declaration of judgment is very telling. Jesus says at the very end, He says, I will then declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, for I never knew you. The judgment of declaration is not based upon what they did. I want us to see this. Jesus didn't say, depart from me, ye cursed, because you didn't do enough. You didn't prophesy enough. You didn't heal enough. You didn't, you didn't practice. You didn't teach enough Sunday school classes. You didn't tithe enough. You didn't read your Bible enough. You didn't pray enough. What does Jesus say? He said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Why are they workers of iniquity? They're workers of iniquity because of that first phrase, I never knew you. Why are we able to do any good? Why is is there able to be any fruit that emanates from us? Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. Because we have a relationship with Him. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father who is above. That, that any goodness that is in me is a demonstration of Christ in me. Any goodness and any grace and any humility is in me is because Christ is in me. Not because there's anything good in me, but because Christ dwells within me. And so the declaration of judgment is not because they did good things or did not do good things, but the declaration of judgment is because they were not known. That word, I never knew you, is the word gnosko. In the Greek, everybody says, oh, that makes perfect sense. The word gnosko in the Greek is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 1 when it said Joseph did not know his wife until she bore sons. It is that word of intimate knowledge, not just cognitive understanding, but that, 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 that word of relational knowledge. That that word of of intimate awareness. So Jesus says this. He says, there was no relationship. There was no, no knowledge. There was no intimacy between you and me. There was no relationship. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Same word in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Paul says this. Very familiar passage to many of us. He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of who love God and are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, for those whom He foreknew, that word gnosko, to know beforehand, He 
Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might know that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What the, Paul is saying is that those who are conformed to the image of God are those with whom he has a predetermined relationship with. That there is a relationship, there's an intimacy, there's a knowledge that existed before the foundation of the world even began. This relationship that God has, this salvific understanding of Christ has nothing to do with what we do, church. You're a child of God not because of what you do. Hear what I'm saying. Your favor with God has nothing to do with what you do. You cannot write a big enough tithe check to garner favor with God. Maybe with the people at Redeemer Baptist Church, but not with the favor, not with the favor of God. You cannot teach enough Sunday school classes. You cannot serve enough hot dogs at the fall festival. You cannot do enough to garner favor with God. The only way that we are given favor with God is because of what Jesus has already done. Greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for his friend. Jesus said this. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says that I will demonstrate my great love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were haters of God, while we were sinners, while we were rebels, while we were shaking our fist at the face of God. God demonstrated his great love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? So that he might have a relationship, so that he might know us and that we might know him. And the judgment that Jesus proclaims in Matthew chapter 7 is not based upon what we do. Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Bearing fruit is intimately tied to knowing Jesus. Listen to this, John chapter 15, verse 5. If you abide in me, and I in you, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, and I in you, you can do what? You can bear much fruit. Bearing fruit has nothing to do with you and I, church, and has everything to do with knowing Jesus being in an intimate relationship with Jesus. You know the grace that is in Jesus, you will show grace. You know the humility of Jesus, you will show humility. You know the wisdom of Jesus, you will produce wisdom. To know Christ is to demonstrate Christ. So I pray this morning that you'll know that you're a child of God. Not because of what you do. Not because of how you look but because of who you know. There are some of you here this morning. You are that wolf in sheep's clothing. You do everything you can to communicate to everybody around you that I've got it all together. I put on the suit and the tie. I carry my big black Bible to church. I make sure that I say the right things and do the right things so that I am favored by God and men. It has nothing to do with how you look, with the clothes that you wear. There are some of you who think that if I can do enough good things, if I can somehow be good enough, that, that maybe I will garner the favor of God. 
that if I can just go to church, if I can give my, if I can get my life straight, that maybe I can garner the favor of God. Before my dad gave his life to Christ, he said this. He said, I thought that I had to get my life right. I had, there were certain things I needed to quit smoking. I needed to, to, to quit cursing. I needed to, to, to quit doing all these things. I had to get my life right before I could come to God. But on the day of his salvation, he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, you will never get your life right until you come to God. There are some of you here this morning who are wearing the wrong clothes, who have all the trappings of Christianity. There are some of you here this morning who have lots of blossoms, lots of buds, but no real fruit in your life. And it's not because of lack of effort, because of a lack of a relationship with Jesus. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, your word gives us very clear admonition. Very clear distinction that there are those who think that when they die that they're going to stand before God in glory and they're going to be in heaven and they will say, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do all these great works in your name and you will say in judgment, I never knew you, depart from me. Our salvation is not based upon what we do. And there are some of us here this morning who have been relying on, trusting in what they've done. Maybe what they've done is walk down an aisle and say a prayer and got wet in a baptistry. But our fruit, our walk with Christ is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done. This morning, if that's you, if you've been trusting in, in, in what you can do to garner the favor of God, I want to invite you to come. To come and trust in what Jesus has already done. There are some of you here this morning who've been trying to look the part. Let me invite you to do this. Take off the sheep's clothing. Acknowledge that you're in need of grace and come to Jesus. Just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn. The Holy Spirit spoke into your heart this morning. Don't delay. Come to Jesus. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you need to grab someone to come with you. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, may today be the day of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray.